ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Cincy Brewcast. It's the voice of Cincy Craft. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to do this show for a lot of different reasons, but um, there's there's a, a very deep-rooted part of me um, when I became a fan of Cincinnati beer. The, 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 one of the big reasons I became such a fan of Cincinnati beer was because of the history and uh, the heritage and the, uh, uh, the story of it here in Cincinnati. And one of those companies that uh, has, has existed, a big part of why they've existed um, is to help kind of bring that story into the modern age and um, pay a little bit of respect to it. And, uh, that's, uh, uh, you guys probably know them as Christian Moreline from, from a few years back. Uh, there was a rebranding, uh, it is now the Cincinnati beverage company. Um, and you also are probably aware that there's been some ownership changes in the last few years, a couple different times <laughs> and, uh, new owners came in and, uh, took, took over the brands and, um, I know that a lot of people were a little concerned about what that meant, and, um, and we're gonna we're gonna dive in and see exactly what it means. I think that for me, um, uh, I I feel better about it now than I think I ever have, uh, but that's probably getting too far ahead of things. <laughs> Elliot Coulter, is that how you pronounce say your last name? That's it. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, what is your job title? So um, I'm the uh, COO of uh, Cincinnati Beverage Company. Um, you are um, manning the ship. I am. <laughs> a, a massive, crazy ship to uh, jump on board. <laughs> Very old ship. We're trying to bring back to life, right? Uh, start, um, I, I mean, I don't know how uh, in-depth you want to get about kind of uh, the the overall ownership of, of how this, this works, but um, give us a little rundown as, as much as you want to. Yeah, so and then, I guess and then we'll crack into a beer, which I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll open it while you're talking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I guess the story started of our ownership of Simbev with some properties. So um, as I think you've blogged about, we acquired some properties in Northern OTR um, maybe a year or so ago. That started with the purchase of the old Cliffside Building, Mohawk Zones. Right. It's been a lot of names over the course of its existence since 1887, but um, it started with a property purchase. And the goal of that was to basically bring life back to this old brewery. So our owner, John Richardson, is uh, an avid restorer. He's a big historian. Um, he loves the the history of the city. He loves the history of the architecture, the brewing history that exists, you know, in this uh, small pocket of, of OTR. And when this building came up for sale, you know, he walked in. And he's, you know, kind of amazed by... Uh, the beauty of the architecture it was still standing. Part of it was still standing. Portion of that had fallen. <laughs> but uh, That seems to be the case with all these places. <laughs> you know, the smokestack was still there, despite needing a lot of work. Uh, and he was just enamored by this this great piece of history that, frankly, needed saved. There was a lot of people who owned that building over the course of time. I think there were a lot of plans. COVID hit. There was some, you know, challenging funding challenges, things like that. So he really saw it as an opportunity to be able to bring life back to this um, piece of history that, that exists and far too many had had gone by the wayside. Right. Um, so he bought the property and then soon after the building next door, the Felsenbrau building was for lease a long time. And uh, the owners reached out to us and said, Hey, do you want to, would you like to purchase it? Um, at one point it was the bottling facility for the Cliffside Brewery. It was built in 1936, opened in 1937. Um, 
much newer, you know, by, by those standards of right. still being almost hundred years old, 80, 90 years old. But, uh, you know, they, he, he was presented with the opportunity to buy it. He said, this is really cool. We're going to be able to take an old bottling plant and an old brewery and we can put them back together the way it was in 1933 when, uh, when they first started this project. So we acquired the, the Velsen Brown building sediments. We had the, you know, those two pieces of the puzzle. And then soon after, um, the Jackson building went for sale. Again, that had a pretty um, pretty tumultuous past, a lot of fires, sure. uh, a lot of history. That one you know, did back to the 1800s. And it needed a lot of love, much like the buildings we had already purchased. And again, this was a point, you know, with that front facade so cool. And up on Elm Street, you know, up on the hillside, it was just, you know, something he couldn't let go. So we acquired all these properties kind of in Northern OTR. And at the same time, the opportunity came to us. It was kind of weird that we were buying some of these buildings, old brewery buildings, um, the opportunity to buy some of the assets with Cincinnati Beverage. They were looking to sell. Um, some people reached out to me and said, hey, we're selling some equipment. You know, are you guys interested in potentially buying some equipment? We said, oh, we'll take a look. Well, the conversation kind of continued. And they said, oh, by the way, we're selling everything. Are you interested in any of the brands? We said, well, maybe. Let's, you know, see what it is. So we investigated, found out kind of what's in the portfolio. I know some people wanted uh, some of the brands. Other people wanted other the opportunity cost said, Hey, do you want to buy them all? We'd love to sell them as a package. We want to keep this kind of intact. Sure. There's a lot of really cool historic brands in this. There's some uh, trademarks that brands that haven't been around for decades, centuries uh, that are part of this portfolio of brands. So we started to look at everything. And again, and much in the history of restoration and saving things, this was something that we thought these brands had kind of maybe, I don't want to say neglected, but, but maybe not to their full potential. Uh, we it's, thought we could breathe some new life into these brands, much like the buildings that we purchased. You know, we could bring some new life into them. Let's again talk about how big that ship is of of these brands and this whole thing. Like it's it's a lot to try to take those and to try to uh, uh, to send them off in the right way. Yeah, I mean, uh, just remember to didn't hit record on that. That's oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Moreland has been around since eighteen fifty three. Hudibal eighteen eighty five. Little Kings was the Keep going, okay, was the new uh, was the newbie of the group in you know eighteen nineteen fifty eight. But again, a lot of history in these brands, much like the buildings that we purchased, and uh, also there was a there was you know kind of a tie in with this historic piece too. So I think there were thirty some trademarks that were associated with the purchase of Sensei Beverage Company, um, and a lot of those tied to properties that we owned up right. the hill, which is super cool that you could take you know potentially breathe some new life into the buildings under, you know, some of the names that they existed back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So with that opportunity, you know, um, John said, yeah, it'd be great to save these brands. You know, he was a fan. I think everybody was a fan of his age of little Kings back in, um, back in the day. So he saw this as an opportunity much like the buildings to say, Hey, yeah, we can breathe some new life in these. I think at one point little Kings was in 48 States, you know, they did 350,000 barrels a year. They're doing 8 million cases. It was a huge, huge, product um well, yeah, I mean, wasn't just a cincinnati yeah i mean some of those some of those brands be it moreline or little kings or you know even though it didn't spread the in the same way that those those brands may have at, at one time uh hootie delight sure. <laughs> the, 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 what that means to the city and like some of those brands just in recent history that people remember and think of 
are, are so important to, to beer drinkers. And then as you start digging in and you start digging out some of those older names and you, you see the spaces that used to exist here in, in the city and you're like, Oh, this is, you know, this is, this block was this brewery or this building used to be this brewery. And, uh, to be able to have something you can hold in your hand or to go be a part of, um, is something that, uh, again, it's, it's hard to, uh, uh, hard to to steer that ship in today's kind of modern world of craft beer, and um, I think, and I I have I have uh, what I've been calling cautious optimism <laughs> that you guys are going to be able to do that because it does mean so much to the city and to, uh, to 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 beer in the city. Yeah, and I think since we purchased this, we've uh, you know we knew the following that some of these brands had, but it's amazing what you see on social and in the stories and the letters and the emails and, you know, can you ship this beer here? I'm in Oregon. Can you ship me who to pull? I'm in Oregon, right? It's like the, the draw is certainly Cincinnati and Cincinnati forward, but we know that people kind of migrate outside of the city and they, they take that passion and love of the brands with them. Uh, so for us to kind of breathe new life into them and hopefully be able to, you know, make the Christian Moorlands of the world proud. You know, the yeah. guys who were pioneers back in the day and we're doing all these, you know, cool, innovative things to, to really build the brand to a top five, uh, yeah, I think top five brewery in the country at the time, right? It had so much presence and prominence and not that it's, uh, you know, it's definitely waned since then, but I think there's still legs in a lot of these breweries and they're still obviously followers. And, and you know, I think that's, we just want to do it justice and we want to be able to be rightful owners of the brand and, and advocates of the brand and, and really give it another 150 years worth well, of um, worth, worth of value. There are other uh, historical brands in today's modern kind of beer world, um, but I don't. And I and I, you know there are some that you know obviously you know, places like Yingling are still being brewed where they you know were started and that kind of thing. But uh, there's a lot of historical brands that are just kind of shells and that uh, are very fake in what in what they what they are and where they're made and who makes them and. Um, I think that that's something that uh, is is unique to this and will hopefully resonate with people that uh, appreciate good craft beer but are looking for that other side of things too where um, obviously you can't go make Little Kings in the old Chainling Brewery. Uh, I think Jim Cook is uh, um, taking up as much space there as he can possibly take up. But right. <laughs> you know, right. but uh, there are other brands that can still be made in those buildings that they were at one time made in. Um, and, and Little Kings is a nice little uh, uh, a, a big brother, I guess, of a younger big brother. <laughs> yeah. Some of those brands, like little, little, and little, but like I, I hope that it can find a place with, uh, with craft beer drinkers where they start to dig into that story and kind of like, where is this made again? And then they start looking at pictures like, what, what, what is the story behind this and how does this all fit? And really start to, to dive into what that, what that means. I mean, you, you see people excited about the beer coming back every time there's a social media post about little Kings, you get people from all across the country that, you know, still wanting it. <laughs> like all the posts now we're, we're trying. Right. Guys. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's the cool part about little Kings. It, it has a, it's almost generational, right? So I, I know when my dad was growing up, whatever age he drank it, we won't, sure. we won't, you know, everybody's got their story of little Kings. It may not be of legal age, but everybody had a story of little Kings when they drank it, right? It was their parents drank it and they talked this story and it was, Oh, I love that growing up. It was great. And you had this passed down, you know, this generational thing. We, we you know, we're working with a, a marketing agency and we, we said, Hey, we have a um, little Kings as part of our portfolio. And he goes, I have a little King story. I had a, <laughs> I had a jacket 
that I used to wear everywhere. It was like a duster trench coat jacket. And I wore it because I could fit 31 little Kings in my bottom, in my pockets. <laughs> right. So like everybody has this little King story that was passed along and you remember, and he's like, my son now has the jacket. He's in college. He has the jacket. I'm going to get it back from him, but he has the jacket. <laughs> and it's just this, uh, you know, it's this great storytelling of little Kings and it's you know, the youngest of all of our brands, but it's that passion for the brand that, uh, you, you know, optimism for what it was, what it can be to bring it back. And, Certainly, I think previous owners of this company had tried to do it. They ran into some challenges. And I think funding, obviously, is a concern a lot of times for, right. for companies. Uh, and, you know, just couldn't COVID. There were a lot of things that happened that just couldn't get it off the ground. I think we have a advantage in that regard just because we, you know, we're in a fortunate spot where we, we start off in this company. Um, it's a large company. <laughs> we, are. we can say it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's some power behind it. <laughs> right. So I think, uh, you know, we, we thank all the people that brought the brand and kept the brand alive this this long, right? Much like the buildings and the owners before them. I think a lot of people had big plans to do things and um, weren't able to, to realize those dreams, but they kept it alive. They kept the building there. Right. They kept the brands there. Um, you know, the brands are still in distribution. It's not like they've gone away except for Burger. It, you know, isn't around right now. But that's not to say... Uh, you know, these brands are, are dead by any means. I think right. it's uh, it, it's one of the low points maybe that we build back up. And, you know, like a lot of brands, they they are cyclic. And I think uh, our, our goal is to kind of regain some of that glory. The beer market's definitely different than it was um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago. But uh, but we feel these brands are, they, they have a very passionate fan base. Little Kings is kind of this niche market, right? It's uh a cream ale, but it's not really a craft beer. It's a domestic, but it's it's kind of this in between space. It's odd. Yeah. It's a seven ounce bottle. Um, it, it's it's unique and different. So I think there's space to play. Here to delight. It's the original, uh, you know, Cincinnati light beer. Um, it has a, a, a kind of a cult following. It has a very passionate fan base. Yourself being one of them yeah. from from, uh, from the stories you've said and the posts you've shared. And then Christian Moorline, I think, is one that again has the history. It has the roots. Um, probably needs some tinkering we can maybe talk about that but i think it uh you know it it's uh it certainly has has a, a brand that is that is uh equitable that has a following that you know resonates with cincinnati Moreline yeah. is cincinnati right it is the guy who kind of started it all here and the you know what it is today so little kings is the one we start with i think that's our priority for now um i actually left uh brewing little kings today so before i came and saw that's you exciting. we brewed the first batch of little kings under our ownership uh so it is in motion the posts that we put on social media were true uh it is coming we actually brewed the beer day we'll be bottling it in-house the end of november and it'll be in market um, throughout the state of ohio starting in december so cannot you're wait. here first cannot uh, wait yeah. to uh to knock back a case yeah. of those at christmas time <laughs> yeah we're all excited i think it'll be a a party around the bottling line when this first one's come down oh, to, sure. you know up for grabs so no, we're excited. We, uh, you know, we, we, we told everybody, wait with us, patient, be patient. It's coming. It's coming. We wanted to make sure the fixes we, we made and put in place were fixes that were long-term, right? We didn't want to put a bandaid on this and then be out of stock or have things broken. We really wanted to make operational, operational changes to the, um, production line, uh, that really allows us for success in the future. So a lot of investment in machines, a lot of fixing machines, um, you know, a lot of things that, Let's not take what was broken and, and patch it. Let's truly make it right and, right and fix it. And that takes some time. So we appreciate everybody patiently waiting for <laughs> uh, for this day. But we have uh, we have kind of come close to the finish line. We still have to finish up production in the next couple of days and 
put it in bottles and ship it out the stores. But we're uh, we're excited that oh, it's back. It's, it's going to be awesome. So a little Christmas present I for everybody. Cannot wait. Uh, let's 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 drink a beer. That's right, part of right. the craft beer podcast. Uh, this is uh, uh, not one of your brands, but uh, that's kind of the way it works right now. Although I think it is, uh, in a lot of ways, it's still fitting with kind of the uh, the soul behind the the brands here. Uh, and it's uh, Cincinnati Lager from uh, Sam Adams, the Sam Adams Tap Room. Um, which you know, I, I kind of made the joke earlier about Jim Cook and the old Shaneling Brewery. He's one of those guys that, in in very different ways, but understands how important uh, heritage and history and some of those pieces of uh, Cincinnati beer are to be saved and to 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 push them forward. And um, so, um, it is fitting that that's what we're drinking. Um, I love this beer. It's great beer. <laughs> no, it's. Uh it's very nice. And again, to your point, it came from the whole machine link. So it, it, as close as we're talking about little Kings, it's a good, good connection to the story. It's super easy drinking. Mm-hmm. This is, this is one of those beers that actually kind of does remind me of what, uh, a, a historical, uh, lager may, may kind of taste like in, in Cincinnati. It's probably not nearly, uh, what they were brewing back then. It was probably the stuff that they were brewing. Some of these historical places were probably, was probably terrible. Right. Right. <laughs> But this is what I want to right. think in my head. It tasted like. No, I agree. Very, uh, very clean, very drinkable. Uh, first time I've had it, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to try it. And you've had it already, but uh, it's, it's a great one. So, talk a little bit about uh, your history with craft beer. How did you uh, get into craft beer? How did that? Uh, everybody's got a fun kind of uh, story of that. That when that light bulb goes off. Sure. So I guess uh, mine maybe inadvertently started in college. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it works. Right. <laughs> And only because, you know, I went to school down in uh, North Carolina, down at, down at Davidson, and we would, every Thursday, go to the local bar across the street, and they would have discount, you know, taps just because everything was uh, changing out the next day. So, I remember back in college, it was like, well, I'm, I'm going to get my bang for my buck. I'm going to get, you know, something with a little more oomph right. to it, right? I'm going to get the, the little bit higher ABV and started off drinking it and, you know, really kind of liked it. But then, you know, after college, I'm sure you drink your, your fair share of college beer in there, too. But it was always Thursday night at the, at the bar. You know, we try to try to try something new, try something different. Again, get you get you something more in the light beer. And then after college, yeah, obviously the craft beer scene came back to Cincinnati. The craft beer scene and that was in I graduated in two thousand and six, so the craft beer scene in Cincinnati was just kind of starting off there yeah. those those upcoming years, and really just kind of um, slowly got into it, started to pick up steam. Um, from that point, I was hooked. So you know, going across the country i used to get out a decent bit from my my uh, previous role and would travel and go to all these really cool beer cities oregon go to you know portland go to denver yeah go to these places that had a really good beer culture um and uh, i got to go to a lot of different breweries got to uh, you know experience a lot of different beers and you know just kind of became a obsession on the on the side right my uh, kind of hobby of uh going out and checking into beers and checking in breweries and um you know, Michigan, I have in-laws in Michigan, so going up to Grand Rapids every every Christmas and hitting that whole circuit of breweries up there. So uh, really just kind of evolved. And and then, you know, the more you drink, the more you learn, and right. you, you kind of get more knowledgeable with the styles and um, really just brought that that passion for beer to uh, kind of my role at, uh, at what was Sugar Creek. So Sugar Creek is the food side to um, Cincinnati Beverage. That's kind of the, I guess you would say, parent company operating separately. But we would go out to dinners or go out drinks and, you know, I'd be the guy ordering craft beers. Everybody else would be ordering bourbon or scotch or, you know, whatever it may be. And I was ordering craft beers and kind of educating people. And, you know, I think slowly they start to see, oh, this, this guy really, 
he gets it. He's into it. He knows it. Uh, you know, I'm kind of self-proclaimed beer nerd like everybody else probably listens to your, your podcast. And uh, I'm sure my wife hates it because every time we got to <laughs> you know, dinner, I'm on my tap tap looking at what I haven't had and what I had. You know, take 20 minutes at the beer store selecting bottles. You know, the whole the whole work. Right. So uh, just kind of becomes a lifestyle at that point. And then the opportunity came to, you know, kind of present itself to make this more a full-time gig with the role I'm in now. And um, was fortunate enough to to be tapped to, to kind of lead the charge. So um, no formal... You know, my only uh, experience on the beer side is on the one end of the bar, not right. behind it, but but certainly had quite a bit of experience on that side of the bar. So I uh, had a had a decent amount of of beers on my um, on, on my list, and and been fortunate enough to go to a lot of places and try a lot of different styles, a lot of different beers, a lot of different breweries, well, and uh, yeah, kind of made it made it great. I think that there's something that is important or maybe powerful or I don't know the right word to, to put with that, to, to, to be that person kind of helming this instead of somebody that's like, Oh, you know, I, I started making beer when I was, you know, uh, in my twenties, I, I know everything to, that there is to know about, you know, this process and um, to be able to, uh, to, to, to know that you, it's about getting those other people into place around you to, to make this thing turn into what it needs to be. I think sometimes um, people fall into a trap the other direction, kind of, uh, it doesn't let the thing grow to be what it can. And w again, with, I'll probably use the metaphor more than I need to in this episode, but when it's a ship this big, it is, it's, it, it's hard for, for one person to do anything. <laughs> no, we got it. And we've got a great team. We've got a, uh, a very passionate owner who is, um, who is, uh, he won't sacrifice on the product. He, he knows that, you know, to make this right, it needs to be a really good product. It needs to be a, uh, a great location. It needs to be a great product that we're, we're serving. Um, he understands this is a, this is a journey, right? So we're in a spot right. where we lost some momentum uh, over the years, but, you know, to come back, you got to do it right. And um, he that's the way he operates with any of our, our food facilities. Um, it's all world-class. So I think it's a great person to have at the, uh, you know, at the helm, who's, who's willing to, um, who's willing to do what, what's right, you know, right. make it, make it worth your time, make it count. And then we have a great team on, on, on our side too. We have, you know, we're, we're drinking Sam Adams and obviously other Shanley place. We probably have, uh, I don't know, 80 or hundred years of experience between the four guys that we brought on to kind of lead the day-to-day -day side. So, um, a lot of beer industry knowledge on their side, you know, mine, not so much mine's on the bar stool rather than <laughs> in the brewery. That's uh, valuable knowledge. <laughs> but, uh, but we also had the technical side as well. So they're, uh, you know, grew up in the industry. Some of them were already on our, our food side that we were going to convert over others. We, you know, kind of brought on, but super knowledgeable staff, uh, of guys there. I'm sure we'll, as we grow supplement a little bit more. Right. Um, but, uh, but no, they're great. They, they know, you know, yes, what the little King's recipe was, they knew off the back of their hand because they brewed it for so many years at Chainlink. So right. it's a, it's a great opportunity to have those guys to, to be able to kind of bring these historic brands back, knowing right. that over the years, much like a lot of things, the recipes change slightly, the, um, you know, the formulas get tweaked and you always got to kind of reset and bring back to, to what you were. So that's one thing we're doing as we brew this today. Uh, we have brought back the original recipe from Chainlink uh, that they made back when they originally brewed the beer. So we'll have a little bit higher ABV on it than the last bottling, which was probably a year or so ago now. It's been a while. Um, we'll have a little more body. It'll still be a traditional cream ale, but, you know, adding in some of those ingredients that, right. you know, the the previous iterations of this 
um, left out. But, you know, again, doing what's right, going back to the original restoration, we wanted to make sure it was um, it was true to style. Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from uh, previous ownership and kind of their visions for, for anything, but... Um, you know, I walking into a beer store and grabbing a 16 ounce can of a uh, lighter than than I remember Little Kings that's maybe flavored with something else. It just didn't feel right for what Little Kings is supposed to be. And um, again, I cautiously optimistic. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's I think everybody is, and we're we're excited. Um, you know, I think we first thing we did we scrapped the flavor variants. We we knew that that wasn't the the way to bring this this product back, um, the product was great. It was really good back in the day. And, yeah, uh, if you yeah, want to make a, a, a blood orange uh, hoodie, um, maybe maybe I can accept that. <laughs> cross that path when I get there. I think we'll I don't stick really with the delight. It, but I, yeah, yeah. But maybe. <laughs> right. Um, no, agreed. So, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we focused on the original cream ale. We brought that back. We really got back to distribution that, um, that people were asking for. So again, you know, our, our rollout is going to be local to start in the state of Ohio and maybe Kentucky. And then we look from there. I think the other states surrounding us, there's plenty of requests we get on our Facebook. Sure. I think our social media team is, uh, flooded with, with, uh, messages every day on trying to respond to when the product will be near them. But we know we want to start where, where it is, start, start with our, our local market here and, and, you know, within the state. And then we start to figure out what distribution strategy looks Looks right from there. Um, but no, we know the people of Cincinnati and really throughout the Ohio are, are going to be excited. I think their uh, support over the last year when product has been unavailable is uh, is something that we could have never imagined. If you were said that a product isn't going to be around for a year and you still have passionate people who are emailing us and, and uh, you're writing on our, our DMs and you know posting on our wall of, we love your product, when could come back? Right. You know, in this market, this competitive market, I think you lose a lot of customers. Most most places probably would, so I think that just goes to show the sport, and we're we're um, hopefully we can make them proud. Hopefully we can give them a product that you know uh, that, that they'll be coming back for and won't have to wait another year to get. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's a testament to something about the product too, and I don't I don't know what that thing is that gets people to just uh, like you can't replace it with something else. If you're maybe it's especially true with Little Kings that like if you like Little Kings. There's nothing else that fits that bill for you, and maybe maybe part of it is the uh, the stories that you have. Maybe it's the uh, the branding, the, the those little green bottles. I mean, maybe maybe that's a, a big part of it, but I mean that's okay because you can't replace that with anything else. You know, if somebody else decides to put a a cream ale in a little green bottle, people are going to say, "Oh, this is just trying to be like Little Kings," and so like that, that's a that's a very powerful and a very uh, a very rare thing to be able to do. Um, it's man, I, 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 I love, I love little Kings from the very deepest parts of my, uh, beer soul. <laughs> well, we do too. And that's, I think part of the reason we bought the company, but certainly, um, you know, there's, there's a masses out there of people who, who want it back and sure. need it back, who are passionate about telling us how much they want it back. So the, we're excited to be able to scratch that itch. The, one of the fears though, is if, on, on my side is that little Kings is such a big thing that it would be easy to just kind of get bogged down. And once things are up and running that, okay, we just have to keep up with little Kings and get little Kings where it needs to be. And then some of these other brands that uh, have fallen by the wayside, keep falling by the wayside because it takes so much, uh, uh, so much energy trying to, trying to keep little Kings 
where it needs to be and to push it where it needs to be maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think we had the opportunity to buy single brands and we chose not to, we wanted to, you know, bring on the whole portfolio. We think there's not everybody's a little King's drinker. That's fine. Um, not everybody's a heat of pull drinker. That's fine. Not everybody's more line yet. (laughs) That's fine. We don't want to be everything to everybody, but we want to make sure that the people, um, who enjoy our brands are able to get our brand. So no, I, I, yeah, I can't be concerned. I think, uh, you're, you know, your thoughts are um, maybe a common concern for people, but for us, we we wanted to bring the whole portfolio back to life. And again, I don't think Muted Delight's going to be in all 48 states. That's not what we're saying. It's not that right. type of beer. Um, if it is, great. But we know that it has a more local support, and we're good with that, and we like the footprint it is, and we want to make sure that people are enjoying the product um, wherever we can sell it, wherever it's it's successful. But, I mean, I think the... Uh, the, the goal of this is to be able to not only take the portfolio that we have that's currently active, uh, but also look at the ones that aren't. So, you know, I mentioned Burger before. Yeah. Does does Burger have a, a new life? Can we make that work? Are there other brands within our portfolio of trademarks that we uh, acquire that maybe have legs? Um, breweries that haven't been around for 100 years or 60 years right. or whatever that may be. So that's something that we have to, to kind of look at down the road and see where we want to go. To your point, right now we're focused on Little Kings because that's what we want to make sure we get out to the market. That's the one that's not around, right. that was produced. But from there, um, you know, we're looking forward. So we we acquired all the companies because we thought they all had uh, some form of some measure of success that's right. out there. Uh, we think they all have legs. They all have a historic past. None of these are companies that started ten years ago and we're now defunct. It's you know history based, um, a rich history. Many of which, when you go on the Heritage Brewing Tours, you'll see the buildings yeah. that existed or the names or the streets. Uh, so so a definite connection to Cincinnati. And I think for that reason, we, we certainly have plans for all of them. Do we know what they are yet? No, but we're not, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we have no plans to, to scrap any of those um, to focus on Little Kings. I think one of the the great parts about the owner uh, and the way he operates, you know, capacity is a moment in time. If we need more capacity, we'll find more capacity, right? right? If the, if the, if the customers are wanting something and we can sell the product and make the product, we'll find space to do it. We'll right. find equipment to do it. We'll find uh, a way to do it. Do we need more people? Do we need more machines? Do we need more labor? Whatever it may be. Um, if there's a need, if there's a desire for the product, you know, we can, we can make that happen. Let's not be handcuffed by our current constraints. So um, yeah, I think we've got our workout cut out for us, but we're certainly up for the challenge and we think we've got uh, a recipe for success. <laughs> Let's take a quick minute to step away and thank the show's sponsors, because this holiday season, I personally, and Cincy Brewcast as a whole, uh, which is me, uh, will be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Everybody loves turkey and stuffing. I, I love turkey and stuffing, but you, you'll be looking fresh with the help of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Manscaped, who I'm sure you are well aware at this point, are the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner conversation topic. That's right, you can tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer, and you could gift yourself or somebody else, the man in your life, or whoever, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. You can trim your pumpkins, that's that's a, a, a euphemism for your, your balls, uh, by going over to manscaped.com and use the code GNOME for free shipping and 20% off of your order. 
the idea of manscaping has always been a little terrifying, and I, I get that the idea of taking any kind of um, thing down there with with blades and all kinds of stuff is is a little nerve wracking. Um, you're scared of what's going to happen to your stuff down there uh, if you get a, a razor anywhere close to it. That's all changed since I found manscaped. I fear nothing. I fear nothing at all, especially doing this commercial for you. I, I do not fear the, doing this commercial for you because I believe in this company. I love them. Uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, that's the actual razor that they have. It's got this advanced skin safe technology with a replaceable ceramic blade. Um, it's 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 awesome. It is absolutely awesome. It's got a light on it so you can use it in like the shower and you can see what you're doing. Um, the Weed Whacker, that's their ear and nose hair trimmer. I just used it this morning to trim up my nose hair because as you get older, you get you get hair coming out in weird spots, including your nose. But uh, fear not, just just get in there and and, and weed whack it. <laughs> They've got all kinds of stuff. If you if you don't need a new razor or a new ear and nose hair trimmer, they do have shower gear too that they just came out with. They've got this body wash and a body buffer. The body buffer lose your loofah. Like this is like a rubber, like a real like like a tool. Take this in the shower, lather up, clean yourself up with that. It's it, it really is like a really great product. Everything I've used from them, I've been really happy with. And once again, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code GNOME at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the word GNOME, G-N-O-M-E. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And I will thank you for supporting the show sponsors because uh, we love them for helping us to keep this show uh, going and free for you. So go support them, manscaped.com. How do you take some of those uh, specific brands and, and some of this you, you may not even know yet, but when you talk about some of these brands that haven't been, uh, I say on shelves, but that's not really accurate because they didn't really have shelves that they were on back then. But uh, some of these brands that have not been um, out in, in, in the, the, the market, again, none of this makes any sense, that have not been produced in, <laughs> we'll say, right. you know, a century in some of these cases. How do you take some of these and uh, figure out what they are today? And what they mean. I think that that's something that uh, is just going, speaking of Christian Moorline as a brand in itself, has, has struggled with a little bit over the years trying to understand how it fits into modern craft beer, uh, American IPAs versus traditional German lagers mm -hmm. and German styles. How do you figure out, especially going forward with some of these older historical brands, where they fit and how they either... Uh, compete with each other or don't compete with each other. However you, you want to look at that. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, you know, as a more lines, a great example, I think the maybe current portfolio of more line or past portfolio of more line tried to do everything. Yeah. They tried to be everything to everybody. We know that what made more line successful was, uh, the, the German roots. So we knew what Christian, when I was brewing and again, different from day styles, but very traditional German beers. I think, that's what we're going to go back to. So we're probably not going to have AZ IPA for Christian Moorline. We're probably not going to do a barrel aged out. You know, we're, we're going to go back and I think go traditional German beers for, for Moorline. We want to have a great Bach beer. We want to have a great Oktoberfest beer. We want to have, we've got a Hellas Lager that's, that, that I feel is pretty good that, you know, is probably a good everyday beer. So there there's, we need to reformulate. We need to go back to the drawing board of Moorline. I think when you, when you try to do too much, you probably, 
you, you, you fail. Um, and, and today's craft market is much different than it was 10 years ago when right. online was, was king. So I think we need to focus our, um, we need to narrow focus and really get back to making really good traditional German beers with more line. There's plenty of places for IPAs and there's plenty of places for pastry stouts and, you know, everything else. I think for us, we need to kind of go back to the horse that brought us here and it was the, the traditional German Moorline beers that he would have. So we still have to kind of move forward on that strategy and figure out what, what that is and what that looks like. But I know we've, when we look at our portfolio and we look at the shelf space that exists today, um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough market. It's a really yeah. tough market. You got to have a really good product. And I think for us, for me, beers are story. So some of the best beers I've had is a story to go with it. And, you know, the Moorline has a story putting in some of these more, um, new styles maybe don't fit that narrative. Right. And I think that's really where we have to go back to, to refine our focus. How does that balance out? And this is probably, uh, this is probably another kind of tough question to, to, to really dive into very deeply, but, uh, we, the Moreline logger house still exists down, uh, mm-hmm. down on the banks. It's an amazing place. Um, how does balancing out this direction for what you want the brand of Christian Moreline to be? How does that work with what they want their beers to be down there at the logger house? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a really good relationship with those guys. Um, we're obviously tied together. We have the same name. Um, there, so there is a connection and there are some things that we can do from the direction that they go to, to kind of help. I think, um, a lot of it will be based upon the portfolio of beers that we offer and that we will serve down at the, the lager house. There's still some things I think that need to be ironed out. Um, certainly there's room for some uh, experimental type things that happen at the lager house. We certainly don't want to. Uh, Do you wish they were branded something different? <laughs> you don't, don't, know. You don't, don't have know. to answer that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I think it's great. It's, it's, it's a great location. It's uh, we, we have a great partnership with the Reds. Um, it's, an inc- it's an incredible spot. Like it is, it's, you couldn't ask for a better billboard for right. the Moreline brands. Yeah. You wish the Reds were a little better to get more people in the door, <laughs> no, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast conversation, sports. right? Yeah. Yeah. We could talk another <laughs> four hours on that. After, after, after the uh, football game yeah, last right, night, right. Uh, you guys are listening to this I might go, a little uh, bit in the future, but I uh, go audition for an <laughs> offensive line position. I think I got a couple snaps left in me, but hopefully, anyways, hopefully when people are listening to this episode, we're coming off a really right. great win against the Panthers. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, I think it, yeah, it's great real estate. It's uh, it's prime location in the Reds. We've got a we've got a great Moreline Lager House bar within the Red Stadium that we partner with them yeah. on. So you know, I think it's a it's a great location. Um, but we need to really work on our portfolio, our core portfolio of beers first, and then we can figure out the you know taproom exclusive experimental pieces. Right. Uh, but but our portfolio of core beers that would be sold there as well as other places are really what we need to get a grasp on and see what we want to do. I mean, I think our goal is to have a really good Hellas Lager to start, have a really good solid beer, everyday beer, and then throw in some rotational seasonals that make sense for the brand, that fit the style, fit the portfolio. Um, you know, we're drinking a great lager right now today. Well, you know, it's it's not like lagers are a thing of the past or... But no, but it's, it is it is very crazy to me that like if, if you ask me, you know, what do you, you know, what is Cincinnati beer? And like you, you could, there's definitely one way of thinking of what is Cincinnati beer right now. And you can, you throw up places like urban artifact and you know, the street side with the big pastry stouts or whoever it may be. Like there's some really crazy modern takes on, on beer that are happening in the city that are great. But if you ask me what Cincinnati beer is, 
like, and, and this is dry hop. So it's a little different than a traditional kind of lager, but, uh, this is what Cincinnati beer is to me. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it's crazy <laughs> that it's still, uh, and, and there are people obviously making great examples of, of, you know, traditional kind of lagers in this town now, but nothing that has become the beer of Cincinnati. When people drive into Cincinnati and they're, you know, visiting a friend or here for an, uh, a wedding or an event or something like, okay, let's go see what beer is in the city. The fact that it didn't scream this for a long time is, is a, an absolute tragedy. And hopefully you guys are going to be able to kind of restore that a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, I think loggers, we look at the going back to architecture. So these loggering tunnels exist in Cincinnati. It's one of the few places that have this kind of infrastructure of loggering tunnels that were around for a very small s- segment of time, right. just because of modern refrigeration coming out and these German immigrants who would dig in these, these loggering tunnels to be able to make loggered beer. So, you know, go, tying back to the Cincinnati roots and tying back to a couple of buildings that we have that have loggering tunnels, you know, I think it, it plays into the narrative of what a Cincinnati history of Cincinnati brewing is and really with Christian Moore being that first big one, you know, not the first, but one of the, really the first big one, um, you know, I think would would pay respects and homage to that uh, to that that brand and really what he was. Yeah, I don't know if people respect how big some of those breweries were back when they were in existence. I mean, so Rheingeist today makes around a hundred thousand barrels a year and they are clearly well besides you know sam adams we will we'll leave them out right now but and, and miller up in trenton we'll right. leave them out right now right. <clears throat> but as far as cincinnati breweries rangeist is the biggest and they are they're cranking at a hundred thousand barrels they are what the 20 28th largest craft brewery in the country. I think uh, I could be off on my numbers a little bit, but so tons of beer nationwide tons of beer. Uh, that's like half of what I think more line was probably less than half of what more was at its peak. You know, like there, these were big breweries making tons of beer. And the difference was it was all drank here for yeah. the most part. I mean, yeah. Moreline did distribute to some crazy places, but for the most part, that beer was drank right here in the city. So, uh, these are places that, uh, literally built the city and, uh, defined what beer was for a very long time. And, um, they, they're not getting the respect that they deserve. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I hope it, people understand that. And you know, the one building we have, you can still see the cutout of the brew kettle that was in, you can, it was a cliffside was oh, a that, vertically that, integrated. That is know. a cool space. And you could say, I mean, it was, we estimated it to be almost a 200 barrel kettle. You know, it's, it's massive. The amount of, uh, amount of volume these brewers were doing out of very primitive systems. Almost, you know, they yeah. were, they were vertically feeding grains from the top, mash, slaughter, kettle, and then drop it down in the basement when they age these things. So incredible scale of these breweries that happened, you know, 150 years ago, um, compared to today's modern technology and still equally in size or bigger than operations that are completely automated. Um, it's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, keeping some of those historical aspects of, uh, the brewery itself to, I mean, you guys, I don't know what it costs to restore and, uh, you know, stabilize the smokestack, but you don't need a smokestack. I mean, yeah, it's a nice little billboard for, you know, cliffside, but, uh, you don't need that. Uh, we were all uh, a little heartbroken when the Hudipole smokestack came down, uh, down on what it was, uh, down, down on the river down there. Yep. Uh, 
talk about that side of, of all of this. Of yeah. Kind so of we're keeping we, that alive. Yeah. We were sad. It went down too, which is why we saved this one. Cause there's not many left. It would be a whole lot cheaper to tear down. Um, it'd be cheaper to tear the whole building down, frankly, and start over than what it takes to restore these old buildings. But again, that's not, that's not what, what our owners vowed. That's not the reason he bought the buildings. He didn't want the real estate. He didn't want the land. He wanted the buildings. He wanted the story. You wanted to be um, the next chapter. There's better real estate. If you guys think that that's like a load of, of garbage, like there's better real estate that you could buy if, if that was the actual story is it's, it's easy to kind of put a marketing spin on it and be like, Oh no, we, we like the history of, of these buildings. Now there's much better real estate that you can buy if it's just for some kind of production facility. Yeah, no, we were, uh, we, we certainly weren't first in the area, but we were one of the first, uh, I think to really put some, some money in this area and it needs a lot more and it needs some, um, some revitalization. It's definitely been forgotten about much like the buildings we own. It's been forgotten about. So yeah, to, to save the smokestack was something we knew we wanted. We, we bought the building. It's super cool to have that smokestack there. Um, we, started to repair a roof and all of a sudden the roofers had bricks that were falling from the smokestack and we said okay well this is going to take priority so we netted it off you know very soon after we scaffolded the whole thing it took us you know probably three months to get that thing it's been fully tuck pointed it has all new support rings lightning suppression we rebuilt the crown um it is completely done in kind the way it was in 19 or 1887 so um you know i think that's an integral part of this brewery much like it all we we completely repaired every single brick on the outside. So much of the brick was crumbling or broken. We've replaced and repaired every single pound of brick. We've um, you know, taken down ceilings that were falling down and we'll rebuild roofs. We've we've structurally repaired the entire building. So we know that this building, I mean, how many buildings are 150 years old? Right. Uh, and it's amazing how well they were built back then. Uh, to see today, you know, buildings collapse after however long and that thing's 150 years old and still standing we wouldn't make sure it lasts for another 150 years and really that's why we spent the time money effort to go through this whole um stabilization regardless of what we did inside we know we right. wanted the building to to kind of stand so uh phase one was external stabilization make sure it's safe make sure it's uh, solid make sure we're not going to have any issues we don't want another collapse like that front portion off mcmicken um had 10 years ago, we want to make sure that wasn't the case. Right. And then, you know, from there, we, we figured out our play it inside, but really outside, no matter what we did, we want to make sure the building was safe. That was the the prime number one, um, number one goal. And we did that and it was great. And now we can focus our efforts to, to the inside. It's, uh, uh, you deserve a lot of respect already. I mean, even if all of this fell off the rails right now and you're like, you know what, we can't do this. This is, this is too much for us. You know, we gotta, we're going to unload all this to somebody else. Like just the amount of effort, even going into this to this point is, is, is far beyond, I think what, uh, what a lot of people expected. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that says about what we expect from people um, coming in and, and buying things, or this expectation from. Uh, I think that with craft beer and craft beer drinkers, um, we uh, we've developed this uh, this fear of, I guess, people coming in and uh, buying something that you love. This 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 buying term, I think. And, you know, from some of these bigger beer brands that come in and snatch up craft breweries or whatnot, I think people develop a fear about that. And, um, uh, I, 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 have heard people kind of express those same fears, um, about, about you guys coming into, to, to Moreline. I heard it when the last ownership group came in and, um, I hope, 
that as they've started to just see um, what you guys have done already, that those fears are kind of squashed a little bit. Yeah. So our, our entire restoration will be true to style. We're not trying to come in and, you know, modernize the buildings. We're, sure. We're going to have equipment in there that's functional and new, but you know, everything we're doing from a restoration perspective is putting the architecture first. So again, the building was too cool to, to start over. We wanted to keep it as is, keep it the way it is. So everything we're doing, we're just trying to showcase that architecture, showcase what they did, showcase all the things that happened a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. So certainly, uh, you know, we would love to, to show people the place that, uh, right. that they're uh, critical of, or maybe have fears about, <laughs> um, you know, we, we think we're doing a, a pretty great job. We've worked through the city. We've worked through all the uh, approval process to make sure that the building remains historic looking right. and that we're fitting within all the guidelines. So uh, a lot of this would, again, been easier to tear down um, and build something new. And that was the furthest thing we, we would want. We wanted to make sure we maintained it and, you know, paid to do so. But certainly we think the end result is worth it. Everything is, a, again, beer's a story. So when you come in our place and you'll be able to drink a beer in a brewery that existed 150 years ago, um, restored to that original look feel of that place. Um, you know, I think it's going to be pretty powerful. It's going to be a great story. I think it's going to be one that hopefully everybody wants to experience frequently, but, um, but we, we were so impressed by the first glimpse at this place. And when we're done with it, we hope we, we do it justice and, you know, make it better than when we started, uh, right. leave it better than, than when we came. Um, so do you guys have a, uh, a working time frame for when any of this will, uh, be active. So we're, uh, like I said, we, we focused on our production side first. Um, we'll start producing our bottling within the Felsen barrel building at the end of November. Um, that in itself is a feat to be yeah. able to say that. Yeah. It's uh, it's been all hands on deck for the last few months. We knew the holiday time would be a key time to get this out. We know a lot of people have asked for it for a long time and we, uh, we, we'd been teasing along the way that it was coming and, and obviously wanted to get a kind of full court press to make sure it happened before the end of the year. So we have, uh, yeah, it seems like moved mountains to try to, to get this operational. The Felsenbrow building was much, much better shape. Don't get me wrong than the, the cliffside right, right. building, but, um, it was still a ton of work. I mean, we had to basically to put a production line in there. You have to completely revamp all the electrical. You have to, you know, all the windows were, were trash. We had to replace every window, flooring, drains, you know, all these things that didn't exist so infrastructure-wise. This was the space that uh, Rebel Metal originally wanted to go into, right? So Rebel Metal originally wanted to go in the Cliffside building, okay. was where um, where they had uh, reserve space. And then this was the Felsen Brow building. So this was called Felsen House. It was marketed as Felsen House. It was a, I would say the best way to describe it is a, um, creative uh, uh, a creative co-working space okay so there was a lot of bands uh, photographers uh, you know kind of creative types that would come in and rent space in this there was right. know, kind of a graffiti wall there was you know it was um, uh, um it was a really cool space but it was definitely chopped up and, and divided out I think that need. I think the last time I was in there was uh, this has been years that somebody was trying to turn it into a bunch of condos something like that. And so it was, they were trying to squash it all up and turn it into a place for people, which would have been cool, but yeah, no, it, uh, it's had a lot of now uh, I'm glad plans. Yeah. So now, <laughs> we, now we rub your back. So yeah, the, the production side again, should be complete here in the next couple of weeks, uh, as we full steam ahead towards, towards our bottling date. And then the second phase of this, which will be the cliffside portion <clears throat> will be the, uh, 
the, the more public face. Yeah, we'll be the side. more public side. So we wanted to focus on production first, just knowing we had to get the product out there. People wanted the product. You didn't want to open a tap room before you have a product. Um, so yeah, we focused on production side. Now that that's starting to, uh, there's still phases of it, but at least we'll have the production bottom line portion up right. and running. We still have offices and some other stuff to make. But uh, then we focus on the more customer facing side of things. And that's really where, you know, we are working with, uh, with an architect, local architect here to be able to create that design. We don't have a timeline yet. We're still trying to finalize the plans on what sure. that looks like, but, um, but yeah, certainly we're a food company as well. So this would be a great place for us to kind of showcase some of our culinary side of the business, um, food and beer, you know, obviously pair together very well. So we think we can do some probably creative things in the space. Better to, have uh, some kind of sausage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They'll be bacon on the menu for sure. Uh, I can I can guarantee you they'll be bacon. Um, but um, but no, it's it, it'll be a great spot. Although we'll definitely have to do some things that building. It has five stories, and I think there's twelve levels between those five stories, just yeah. because you know the various floors that may have been a, a foot or two out. So we definitely have to consolidate some of those floors. We have to kind of figure out a, a floor plan. It's going to be a bit of an architectural challenge to to get that into a cohesive, right. you know. Um, space, but but certainly leaving these natural arches and you know tunnels and you know all these things that that are so great. The wash house outside kind of bring a new life to it, and um, and yeah, the smokestack you know is still there. We'll we'll light it up. I don't know if you saw it for Blink. We had I a did. light on it. I didn't make it this far north. I, it was it was, a, it was a lot. So we'll uh, we'll have permanent lights on that come December. Um, that was just a, a display piece for this, but we'll have permanent lights on it to kind of showcase that smokestack um, and really be you know the northern northern beacon for. Uh, for OTR before you head up the well, this is still one of those parts of OTR that has not had uh, and uh, not had the same kind of life breathed into it that other parts have that is just waiting for something to become that uh, if you want to draw another metaphor that that beacon mm -hmm. you know the, the you've got this beautiful you know building now in this smokestack just standing there right in the middle of it all that you can kind of look up at and be like all right it's you know there's there's somebody here that is that is really putting something forward to try to do that um how does uh, how does the uh, the Jackson Brewery fit into the whole kind of picture of things? Yeah, so I mean that one needs a, a, a lot more work. It doesn't have a roof. It's over to fire arson fire two thousand nineteen. Um, luckily, the building was saved. The front facade is still there, despite basically the whole second and third floor being burnt out. So Again, that one, shout out to how people built things. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's amazing um, how how that fire stripped the paint off the place, but didn't necessarily knock down the walls. So. We have uh, more discussion on that. I think there are some um, some challenges just with the egress ingress of getting in and out of that. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge to be able to kind of navigate that hillside and the way the roads work. So we're uh, we've got some plans that are you know kind of being circulated and, and trying to figure out what we would do. Long story short, we don't necessarily undecided. Know. Yeah, that was still got some has a lot of potential. Let's put it that way. With with where it sits on that hillside and the prominence and the view oh, you get and all it's that. It's beautiful. I mean, there's, um, it's not a. I mean, a, a big part of why it was there was because of the hill itself. But uh, I mean, it's 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 there for a reason because it's a gorgeous spot. It's yeah. a, you 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 see it from wherever you're standing in OTR. It just hangs out right above you, and um, that for anybody who um, isn't aware was the spot that Urban Artifact originally wanted to go into, and they um, they could not <laughs> get the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that was before job. it burned down. <laughs> and a very uh, vast tunnel system there, so two floors, subterranean, oh, really cool tunnels. tunnels awesome. Uh, what was the you, the movie with? Uh, uh, was it like Mo Marauders? Was that what it was called? Yeah, I think that they and they just filmed one there about three, four months ago. I don't know what it is now, but it was a uh, 
course I'm drawing a blank on it. It was like a teen, it was a book based on like a teenage drama that they filmed a, um, an art scene down there in the tunnels, which was super cool. The way right. they lit it up. So, um, strangers all the way down, maybe I think turtles all the way down. So regardless, it was turtles a, all the way down is a thing. I, I don't know where I've heard that. Yeah. I think that was the, that was the book that, uh, that they did a movie there. So yeah, so it's been a, it's been a side of many films, I guess four, I think over the course of the last decade or so I've been right. filmed there. Really cool spot, but the tunnels are awesome. Ton of space. If you want to see them, uh, Harrisburg trail does a great, yeah. um, does a great, uh, job putting Jackson on their, their list of places to hit. And you can do a, a tunnel, um, tour of Jackson, which is super cool. And if anybody has not done any one of those tours, I cannot recommend it enough. If you want something to kind of spark a little bit of this, uh, uh, the, this passion for this history of, of beer in Cincinnati, take one of those tours because my God, they're fun. <laughs> yeah. And they're awesome. Aaron's been awesome. Um, you know, him and Steve, uh, just educating us too on the history of our buildings. We, we bought them and we read and we did all kinds of stuff, but you know, they're, they've collected so much data and, and history and knowledge and yeah. publications on this stuff. We've learned so much from those guys. So they've been awesome to work with and, uh, certainly love them showcasing the public and, and taking them inside our buildings. Hopefully we can get some more of our buildings on those lists soon. You know, once we get some construction out of the way, but um, no, hundred percent recommend those tours. They're, they're fantastic. They do a great job. I just, I hope people understand how much of an undertaking this was coming into uh, not, not just kind of grabbing these brands and understanding these brands and figuring out the, the road for them. But the fact that you've tacked on to these spaces onto that too is uh is big. It's a, it's a, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> and, no, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been busy. We've, we've definitely <laughs> been, been busy and will be for the, for the next few years trying to get everything sure. um, developed, but no, we're excited. We think it's a, you know, it, it's a great location. Uh, and, and like I said, it needs some love location, needs some love, but we're, we're willing to invest. We're willing to put some, some bring people to the area. I think it was great having blink up there. You know, yeah. Anna park was one of the installations. I think a lot of people have headed North Northern OTR. Maybe haven't been that far North. Maybe they don't go North of Rheingeist. Um, right. but you know, we're a block or two North of there. So to be able to get people in the area and see this park and see our building lit up and seeing, you know, kind of the architecture and the things it could be, um, it was once a, you know, back in the day, it was once a hotspot for, you know, activity in, in Cincinnati and OTR and, we're hoping that this can kind of jumpstart that development. Uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're certainly um, taking a, a bet, taking a risk on, uh, you know, kind of establishing and setting up our, our home there, but we know the potential area and we certainly hope that others see that and, you know, we can bring people in and show them a new light that OTR extends, you know, all the way to that hillside. Um, some places that people may not have been. Well, it, it shows, um, it shows a, a definite level of dedication to, to something. And, it's, I don't know if it, it made me, especially early on when I first started kind of figuring, putting the pieces together of what was happening down here. Um, she did a good it, job. <laughs> it, uh, it definitely, um, it, it made me on one hand a little bit nervous to hear, you know, this, the, you know, this, this company that has nothing to do with beer that, um, uh, honestly from, from the consumer perspective for me, that doesn't really have their own, uh, identity, uh, consumer facing, um, as much as, as, as a lot of other companies do, uh, to come into something like this, that, that made me a little bit nervous, but then you start thinking about that and you start, uh, kind of putting that into the, the bigger picture of what this is. 
and it starts to make me feel really good about it <laughs> and trying to, uh, uh, again, it's a very, very big ship to, tr- to try to, to steer around and to try to understand and try to guide. And I, 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 I feel cautiously optimistic. No, we've got a, we've got a really good <laughs> captain. John, uh, you know, he's, he's passionate about it. I think he's done a lot of things in his career. He's made a lot of success, um, in the various businesses he's owned. And I think he's taking that same level of dedication to this business. This is not a, you know, side gig for him. He's, uh, he's, he's completely pumped about it. He's been excited from day one. We saw the buildings. He was excited when the brand opportunities came about and he certainly, you know, made the investment to make this successful. Um, and he has his full support. Well, I think it's important for people to, to also kind of understand that because of the way, uh, and this is, this is me coming at this, my opinion, because of the way some of these decisions are being made and the, uh, the way the investments are being made in these spaces and the, uh, it's not like somebody coming in and being like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going to write it and kind of stabilize things. And then I'm going to flip this and sell it and, and, and make a profit. That's not what this is about at all. And it hopefully is clear to everybody listening to this, that that's, (laughs) that's what it is. But I mean, again, that's, that's, that's my opinion. I, I will definitely stand by that. Just looking in from, the outside. Um, and that makes me feel good because I don't know that, um, I, I don't know that that would, would have been any of the other options for people coming in to, uh, uh, to, to snatch up the whole portfolio. Mm-hmm. Some of the brands I think could have been, uh, definitely, uh, handled by other people and given some kind of, uh, personality, but nobody could have come in and bought all of that. Yeah. With I mean, the intention I think- of, of, of keeping it all together. Right. No, the story of all them are, independently great and something that, you know, should be celebrated. Um, and certainly we hope to, to give them that respect. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time. We got a lot of decisions still to make, but you know, I think we've, we've got a list of, of things we want to accomplish first things, little kinks. And once we check that off, we can kind of move forward on some of our other initiatives, but we're, um, we're really excited about those seven ounce green bottles. As I showed you today earlier, the yeah, pallets and pallets and pallets of bottles that are waiting for to be filled and, and shipped out. Um, what is, uh, aside from those big ones that people know of, as far as brands, what is one that you are most excited to kind of give new life to and, and bring back? Well, I mean, I think the, if you look at our building and the ties just to some of the buildings, you know, um, the name cliffside was great. Um, that was part of our trademark list, but having the building really cliffside is the one who built Felsenbrow, built the the location just north of that across the street, they're really the ones who kind of expanded this campus from what it was small. So having the rights to the cliffside name is great. Uh, Red Top operated in that building before. Yeah. And that was another one that, you know, operated. Um, that way the rights to Jackson. Again, that's a building. That, is, um, isn't there another Red Top building too? Uh, there's one that I think still has... Uh, this is a this is a Steve Hampton question. Right. There's another yeah. one down here somewhere that uh, <laughs> yeah, there could have been. So Red Top was there till what, 45 to 50 something. I don't know. Don't quote me on my dates, but no, they were around a while, and then they did move to another facility. So, uh, and that's really the last of the brewing operations that happened was uh, was basically in the 50s there that, that right. building. So, no, there's a, there's a lot of cool breweries on that. You know, and there's uh, when you go around, you just see street signs. I think we have a, a clotter and our some form of that in our. Um, in, in our portfolio. Yeah. There's other just, you know, great names that tie to, if nothing else, Cincinnati history, brewing history, sure, but then just Cincinnati history as a whole um, that you see around and you you make the list, the, the tie to the list. So 
I don't know if there's one in particular. We obviously chain link, you know, we own the thrice chain link, which is a, um, you know, little Kings has kind of separated itself from chain link, but you know, the chain link brand still right. has, has great roots here. Um, well, it's, it's funny too. Cause like if, uh, you know, Hootie delight is also, is obviously a thing. Uh, if you, uh, you know, if you had at the same time in the portfolio active on shelves, if you have Hootie delight, if you have Shane Ling and you have burger, there are people that it's like, they will only pick one of those. They will not touch right. the other ones. No, no, this is not what my right. family drinks. Yeah. This is not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, you're right. It's very, very, very brand loyal for it's, a particular families. It's, it's also very like Cincinnati regional too. Like you could pick out pockets and be like, all right, this is a, this is a hoodie delight zone or was, right. Uh, this is the, they drink shingling here, shingling here and they drink a, a burger over here. Like it's a, um, it's, it's a, a fun Cincinnati thing. Right. <laughs> no, it's uh yeah, it's great. It's, um, the stories we've got to, you know, through the acquisition, people reach out and just have stories about, Sure. You know, their their father used to brew or their grandfather used to brew at the original brewery and they would come and they would show me the memorabilia, the articles in the paper and, you know, stuff that people fought on to just because they're so proud of yeah. of their family, which right, they, they should be. But then the tie to that, you know, they therefore have a tie to that brewery, even though it may be a couple generations yep. away, they still very feel very connected because of their grandfather, great grandfather, whoever it was, worked the floor and swept the floor, you know, brewed or whatever it may be, sold door to door, you know, yeah. went on delivery trucks and sold. So, just so many stories have come out of the word work through this acquisition. It's great to see that passion that just reignites people into, you know, kind of remembering their family members and the stories that they had and then that connection to the brewery. So that's, you know, one of the reasons we want to keep all this alive just so those memories continue to exist and somebody can go to the store and buy a, a case of whatever it may be and say, Hey, you know, this, this ties back to 50 years ago when right. my family was working there and this is all they drank and, I believe, I, and I could be corrected about this. I believe uh, Dan Listerman has like a, a grandpa or somebody that was a delivery driver for Felsenbrow. I believe right, uh, cool. I, somebody can correct me. Go back and listen to Dan Listerman. Every time he's been on the show, he talks about it at one point. <laughs> yeah. So we're, and I guess now I read this, this platform, we're obviously in the kind of market for some of these historical pieces that we can display at the brewery. We certainly want to have a, um, uh, an ode to to old and, right. and since I'm hearing history and there's a lot of the big brands out there, but some of the more cliffside Felsenbrow, you know, those are a little bit harder to find other than your soul shakers and some other stuff. So yeah. um, if there are, you know, collectors out there who want to loan or, or sell some of these pieces, we'd certainly be interested in showcasing that history of, of the building and making sure there's a, a, a nice, um, a nice place to be able to view this when you're there to kind of, again, tying back to the whole restoration of our building right. and keeping it very original, uh, we'd, we'd love to have some of those pieces that and there is definitely a, a very great active community here in the city of people that collect that stuff. So um, hopefully if, uh, if, if beer Dave or any of the uh, other members of the BCCA are, are listening, is it still BCCA or they change it? Uh, um, the, the, the collectibles club, if you guys uh, have anything cool, um, reach out and um, um, <laughs> turn the, I want to call it a, a museum to brewing history. Uh, like, you know, back Back in the days of Oldenburg, where they had their their, their museum aspect of it, I don't want to. I don't want to think of it as that. I want to really want to emphasize this idea of just bringing it back yep. and restoring something that was lost for a very long time. So, yep. Is there anything you want people to know that you think that they don't know about um, any of this giant ship that you guys are now steering through the city? <laughs> no, I think just uh, you know. Hopefully, this isn't our our last conversation. Next time, we'll have our beer to be able to to drink. But no, we're we're excited. Just uh, follow us. We we've got a pretty active social media presence, especially with you know the little kings as we've been teasing up to the launch. But 
as we get started with construction, we'll certainly want to have people in our building um, as much as possible and, um, and and start doing some events, community events. We were part of Blank on Hannah Park. We'll start to incorporate ourselves and our brands and um, things throughout the city. So we're going to take a very active approach, I think, with the ownership of this, this company. A lot of maybe previous owners weren't as active um, in, in the... I don't want to say the management, but in the production and, you know, the overall, um, right. we, we want to be very hands-on, you know, we're, we're, we got in this company, we bought this company to be able to kind of make changes. We want to do that firsthand. Um, we're going to work with some great partners along the way, but certainly, you know, we'll be out there in the community. I'm uh, going to attend as many things as I can. I yeah. stand out for a big guy with the beard, but you know, <laughs> if, if you see me say hi, we're, uh, we, we want to showcase what we've got. We want to share the story. We want to bring people north. We want to, you know, kind of celebrate the the history of the brands, but also the future of the brands. Cause that's really what we're looking forward to is being able to bring new life into these and, and, you know, get them into some people's hands and maybe haven't had them for a long time. And, um, and hopefully, you know, come host you at some point to, to enjoy, but oh. we got a little ways to that. So we'll work Can't on the product though. first. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll work on getting that product out, but no, we're, uh, we're super excited. I appreciate the opportunity to to have me on. No, I, share I appreciate story. you making the time for me. I know yeah. that uh, it's been chaotic getting things, uh, getting things rolling and, and the construction side of things is uh, I, I can't even fathom a project like that and trying to, uh, to, to do all this. So I, I appreciate you making the time. Yeah. For two, me. 242 West Wing Wicken. We're just North of uh, North of Brown guys, North of Hannah park, just up there. If anybody is driving by in the area, and wants to take a look, there's a big smokestack you should see with the big cliffside branding on it. Um, and that's original to the building itself. So we actually used the font back from 1933 which That's is super awesome. cool again keeping in the spirit of keeping things as as uh, relevant as they were back in the 30s but no we're uh, yeah we'd love to to keep you posted we'll, we'll post updates along the way but uh, as um, will I, uh, you, you guys know, you guys know my nerdiness about this stuff. So, you know, that, um, as things keep developing, you'll, you'll hear about them on, on the website. Uh, sometimes probably before the companies want me to talk about them, but that's, that's part of the game. <laughs> um, thank you guys very much. We will be back next week. Um, I don't know what we're talking about next week, but it's probably going to be tasty. I can tell you that. Um, thank you very much for, uh, for taking some time out. Thank you. Cincy Brewcast. It's the voice of Cincy Craft. Thank you.